You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hello, and welcome to another in our series of, of Trowers Talks Real Estate. We're lucky today to have with us the MD of Legal and General Affordable Homes, Ben Denton. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm great. I'm great, Sarah. Uh, the topic that obviously we're focusing on today is is the affordable housing topic, and it's been a, a hot topic, you might say, in, in, particularly in the investment community for, for quite a long time now. But do you think that over the, the period of time of the pandemic that the perhaps increased understanding that our cities aren't in, as inclusive as we might hope they were, um, and that there are segments of society that don't have access to this good accommodation, will increase the attraction of this sector and actually maybe help uh, get more affordable housing out there? Yeah, so it's a, it's a really interesting question. I mean, obviously, the basic analysis of, of supply and demand is obviously 40,000, 50,000 affordable homes delivered each year and, and a need for anything between 100 and 130,000 affordable homes a year. So there's, so, so, so for, for a long period, there's been deep structural challenges in the marketplace. I think the second point is, uh, which is an interesting one, is around, so, so obviously, there's, a, there's an increased interest from an institutional perspective in investing in in affordable housing because it generates real index linked returns and and so so you know as other as, as as other investments become don't necessarily deliver those sorts of returns then affordable housing becomes becomes a more um uh, attractive investment investment opportunity. I think the biggest thing. I mean, I mean, I sort of look at the the the, in, the institutional funding marketplace into the the sort of passive investors, so organisations that might might invest in affordable housing in in a passive sense, so maybe lease based structures, um, all the way through to I guess we'd we'd classify ourselves as a as a very active. Um, affordable housing operating business um, within funded by institutional funding but with a deep desire to, um, to to see how we can disrupt the marketplace because because we do think there is there is potential and scope to positively disrupt the marketplace and and start to help bridge the gap between the 130,000 affordable homes a year that are needed and the 50,000 affordable homes a year that are that are being provided. And, and I think what's quite interesting, actually, during, during this period, I, so I know, for example, um, you at LNG, you've, you've actually been still very active, haven't you, throughout throughout this pandemic? You've, you've not stopped, really. No, no. I mean, we, we have. I mean, I mean, our pipeline is just below 4,000 homes at the moment. And I guess at the beginning of, of the um of, of of the pandemic, it was about three thousand homes. So over the last, so over the last, um, you know, after over the last five months or so, we've we've acquired another thousand homes, and I, and I would expect we'd probably look at transacting on another one and a half thousand to two thousand homes by the end of the year. Um, what's been really interesting is is not just what we're acquiring, but how we're looking to collaborate with you know, with really strong progressive players who are already in the marketplace. So things like uh, some of the housing associations who who maybe want to churn cash a little bit more quickly. So so they're looking at um, selling shared ownership stakes, looking at other organisations where housing associations where the scope to do joint ventures or some housing associations which are just saying, look, there's there's a little bit too much um, shared ownership sales risk here or rented rented risk here. Would you collaborate with us on these sites? to help us to 
ensure that we can move forward with them, you know, and not pause those sites. So in times like this, there's obviously a massive disruption, but, but out of that disruption, um, that becomes a great uh, opportunity to accelerate innovation and, and accelerate um, those sorts of partnerships. And one of the, the topics that's come out a lot after a lot of the podcasts we've been doing is whether people think that um, following lockdown, um, let's put it in, in, in that term, that we will start looking at buildings and the built environment in a different way. And and there's been a debate, I suppose, about whether we'll change our view on what, what we build and the quality that we build, because people have had the issues of loneliness, they've had issues of no access to outside space, and perhaps the consumer uh, on all levels is going to demand something slightly different. Which camps do you sort of sit in in, in that respect? Yeah, I, I think I think there is lots of scope for for innovation in the affordable housing marketplace so i guess i guess the challenge is is it's is it's a very regulated sector quite quite correctly it needs to be very carefully regulated um, and and put the customer first i think the challenge is for the affordable housing sector is is there's there's both regulation from an operational perspective but regulation from a design perspective through the planning system so so when you want to try and create new products or new approaches, for example, co-living or different tenure options that are promoted in different ways to different affordable housing groups, it becomes you're fighting against a regulatory framework, a planning regulatory framework, and also a rent, a rental regulatory framework. So, so, so I think that's the challenge. I think the opportunity is, certainly as we go around the country, there's a lot of very forward-looking local authorities that see how affordable housing in maybe different forms can be used to accelerate economic growth within their area. And some of that economic growth will be through different tenures and people doing home working. And some of that will be through, you know, through, through looking at, for example, affordable housing being a co-living option as well. I think there is scope for, you know, a lot of scope for innovation. I think I think one of the big challenges that I've sort of noticed out of COVID is obviously with many more people working from home, th- that effectively moves economic activity from the centre of the cities yeah. back to the suburbs. So uh, so whereas historically you might you might go to a restaurant uh, you know or or a, or a pub or something on on a Monday or Tuesday and it might be quite empty whereas now it's 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 it can be quite full because people are, are changing their working week I think that change of working week is 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 here to stay because people have realised that, that you can you can run businesses really effectively and not have to be in the office all of the time the interesting question is then that how how does that allow over time cities to be repurposed. Uh, and obviously, the second major impact there is 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 the demise of the sort of historic format of retail. What's the future format of retail, and what's affordable housing? What's the what's the affordable housing sector's role in 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 the future of of cities? Which I think can be really really important if if that's really carefully thought through. Yeah, and it's interesting because that is a theme that's come out quite a bit about it's almost um, the localism and in, in a different format. And, and, and we're all much more conscious of our local shops and keeping local businesses going, but perhaps at the expense of some of those smaller um, uh, vendors in the city, for example. And the city is incredibly quiet at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the impact on, for example, uh, demand for office space yeah. and, and therefore the conversion of office space to residential, that doesn't necessarily always provide the quality of accommodation you'd want from a living perspective 
yeah, uh, yeah. Reta- you know retail the the, sh- the shrinkage of retail which um, I, th- I still think in viability terms that's that's quite a, a difficult ask and it takes a long long time to to, to you know to, sh- to shrink retail and change retail frontages so so there are some long-term challenges there but they are opportunities as well because they they create more land for people to have housing and there is a the, there is a massive shortfall of of, of, of housing in this country and, and the recent planning um, you know, proposals um, uh, have, have obviously one of one of the things that hasn't been highlighted is obviously the um, the the issue around not uh, not considering green belt for for housing expansion. So um, so so therefore that puts the focus on on brownfield land and and the and, and the redesign of cities. On on a, on a slightly different note, I mean, Legal and General have always been, I think, at the forefront of of looking at social value um, as an organisation and, and as an investor. Um, and again, I, I think one of the things that before before the pandemic started, um, people were much were talking much more about social value and how you can measure uh, societal value. And uh, it seems that it's actually got traction throughout this period that people begin to realise this is an actual fundam- fundamental. Um, in order to create a good society. So can you see that again in, in terms of everything you do at Legal and Journal still being at the forefront of what you do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the organ, so LNG is, 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 is passionate about about not not just making good investments but good in making good investment for society's benefit so the and 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 it's been interesting so so for example on sort of csr and and starting to be a bit more focused on csr optivo have just done some some great work with um with the good society um, and we're working with them and your good selves on on that on that esg uh framework which we think is 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 really positive. I think the challenge that the, there's always this challenge for me, which is which is the balance of um, obviously um, creating a framework to allow organisations to be compared against each other, which is obviously really really helpful because it provides competitiveness and it makes people do better things. Whilst the, the second point is, how can we all transact our businesses in a way which maximise the, the the sort of the well being of the communities that we serve and and that's that's a very granular project sort of place related activity um i think the i think the the real challenge and the opportunity for the affordable for the affordable housing sector is that migration towards customer service businesses and the well-being of our customers um, which, which is, which is, um, if 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 we can all, as organisations in this space, start to crack that challenge, that is, you know, that is the future. That that is the future of this sector. So not just providing affordable housing, but providing relationships with our with our customers and residents that maximise the the prospects of them um, maximising their well being. Thank you, Ben. That was a fascinating um, 10 minutes or so. Now we, we could keep keep going, but unfortunately, we've run out of time. So thank you very much um, and ha- you know, have a good day. That's lovely. Thank you very much, Sarah. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.